Hello, everybody. Welcome along to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon. As ever, I wish you a very good morning, afternoon or evening, whenever and wherever you join us from. And uh, particularly apt my uh, regular opening spiel with today's guest. Mr. Tim Woodring is the Chief Solutions Officer at Unbridled and joins us from Denver, Colorado today. Tim, thanks for joining the podcast. Good day to you. It's nice to see you. Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, and we were just commenting, of course, this is the world we live in now and, and everybody will be used to doing this. But, you know, the connection is touch wood, solid as a rock at the moment. And it was as if Tim and I were just sat opposite a desk in a conference room and having this conversation. It's a lovely, clear connection. And great to have you on the show today. Um, it's great to be here. Tim, um, unbridled, obviously, given the fact that you're over in Denver, Colorado, we can maybe be forgiven for not being um, familiar with unbridled and what you do. But um, yeah. I think it's fair to say that you are a full service event solutions agency. From yep. looking at the website, it's quite clear that you offer real sort of concept to completion stuff from event marketing, delivering the actual technical solutions, the copywriting side, the management of the events. Yep. Tell us a little bit just historically about the company and how unbridled began. Yeah, founded in 2001. Uh, we really started in event logistics, uh, so uh, event management, hotel sourcing, etc. And then 2002, acquired a travel agency, so we do group air booking um, and uh, you know traditional travel solutions, ground transportation as well. And then just over the years, we've been adding things to the mix. So registration in 2004, we added creative services in 2007, production in 2008. And then since then, it's just kind of been this wild ride of, um, you know, growth, mostly through referrals. So we, you know, we haven't necessarily had a strong marketing presence because we've just been delivering on the business. And then mm -hmm. our clients love to tell others about us. And, you know, one of the best things can happen is if a client leaves their current employer, goes somewhere else because we keep the current client and get a new client. And and so, uh, yeah, we've, we've been um, doing that over the years. We produce about 400 events a year. Um, with a, a, a really real mix of services and industries, a lot of things in pharma space, uh, other things in retail events ranging from, you know, 50 to 10,000 people in Vegas. And so um, kind of across the board. Yeah, sure. And yeah. I guess the irony is not lost on you that, um, you know, as an agency that's tasked with creating marketing, communication, engaging experiences for its clients, having yeah. grown organically, right, sounds of things without doing that, that yourself. But I guess, it, it, you know, that shows a how busy you are and b word of mouth is always the strongest form of uh, absolutely. Business, yep. And, and just doing good business, forming great relationships. I mean, you know, if we believe in the power of events, bringing people together, then a lot of it has to do with relationships, human connection, etc. And so when we form those relationships with our, we really consider them partners and, and, you know, rather than just kind of this traditional client relationship, mm. um, then we, uh, you know, that's powerful. And, and that carries a lot. It does. Um, yeah. you, you, you're, you're certainly on brand and on message because the, the, the first thing that I saw on your website prior to us joining each other for today's podcast was that Unbridled was founded with one mission, connecting companies with their people through engaging experiences. Yeah. Um, I've underlined two key phrases in that in that first sentence, connecting companies and engaging experiences. Yeah. Um, how have those two elements um, presented themselves to you, certainly in the last 12 months and the challenges that companies have, have faced first of all when trying to connect their people and their audiences yeah yeah so you know that our, our purpose is connecting companies with their people um and the thing about that that has kind of risen to the top is that um you know 
one, we feel there's a great need for that. So if you look at companies like Gallup, as an example, they're kind of a leader in the surveying space, especially um, in the U.S. markets, but also global markets. And, you know, they, they've put out their years of uh, an engagement survey, which is somewhere around 70 percent of um, employees are engaged in their work or connected with their company. And so to me, that that seems like a a total tragedy when you think about how many people clock in day in and day out and don't necessarily feel a connection to their work or their company or their company's purpose or company's vision and mission in the world. And um, so, you know, where we're not necessarily in the employee engagement space, we really do feel like we are in the connection space and that that is a noble thing to to be doing in the world because, you know, what type of change would we see if we had more people engaged in what they did and feel purpose-driven in their jobs with their companies. And we feel that events are actually probably the most catalytic force in bringing people um, together with their company and, it, you know, and, and feeling a sense of connection to their leadership. For many employees um, or advisors you know, to a company, representatives of a company, how, you know, users of a technology solution, oftentimes events are kind of the, the moment in which you know, it, it may be one of the only times that you see the senior leaders of a company ad- addressing you. You get the richness of nonverbal communication. You see their face. You see their mannerisms. You are making all these constant decisions in there, the attendees of events of, hey, do I trust these people presenting to me? Do I feel that they have a vision that aligns with me, who I am, what I want in this world, what I want out of work? And, you know, so these events really become catalysts for connection. And uh, one of the things that's carried us, I think, in in this pandemic is that that's less defined by what we do, say, live events or in-person events. And it's more defined by what we're on a mission to accomplish, which is create these connections through these engaging experiences, which can be, you know, and we're seeing that it's the there's this total blurring of the lines between you know, the physical and the virtual with events, but one way or another, what are they unto? And I think that's what we're more interested in than, you know, what they are. Yeah. And, and it's, I, I love the adaptation that has been um, forced upon us. And I, I make no hesitation in saying that, you know, because yeah, it, cause it absolutely. was arguably um, at the adaptation. And, and I was talking to a company recently on the podcast who was saying that they, they deliver virtual events for their clients yeah. so they've turned all of their in-house team meetings into events into digital yeah. virtual events so rather than just them all hopping onto a zoom and going through a boring agenda yep. you know that, that they've actually utilized what they do to for their clients yeah as a means of communicating with their own team and keeping them engaged and absolutely uh, and keeping their employees really sort of up to speed. One thing I'd like to ask you, and, and it's, yeah. it's slightly off topic, I suppose, of the, of the events industry, but when it comes to empowering employees, yeah, I, I'm curious to see what you think about the empowerment that maybe people have had because they've seen globally this adoption of working from home. Yeah. And how many companies have actually gone on record as saying, actually, we've seen no negative aspect to productivity. To productivity. In some respects, productivity has gone up. Has increased, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm wondering if that's going to empower maybe a younger generation of people to aspire to jobs that geographically they thought would be on them. So where bef- before you may think you've got to move to the big city yeah. to get the big job, 
actually now those doors are open to you because we live in this new age. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's a really interesting conversation, you know, in, in addition to our mission of connecting companies with their people. Um, we also have a vision for our, our own employees and, and that's that they would feel the sense of freedom to run free, to pursue their passions. That's why we have the name unbridled, right? It's kind of like, you know, a horse that's not necessarily, uh, got a rein and is yeah. in a, a field to run free. And, and I think that, you know, so I, I hope that there's there's components of the pandemic that catalyze really freeing environments and realities for employees. I, I also think it's it's kind of I think that oftentimes we look at things in general when that doesn't always help us, and we probably should look at things more specifically. Mm. So um, you know, yes, there's this whole work from home thing. And I think if you think about the world globally right now, it's kind of like we're this mass Petri dish uh, in a science experiment that no one intended to do. So we didn't have goals or outcomes or objectives in mind. And so you were learning about what the ramifications of this experiment are. And that's not to make light of the pandemic and, and its its costs and casualties, but more so the, you know, what what are, what are the results? What is the change? And um, I think, yeah, we've, we've massively increased the world's capabilities for digital things. We've got grandparents everywhere Zooming their <laughs> children, you know, and uh, we tried for years to get people on video conference rather than just on the phone on, you know, teleconference things. And we could never do it because culturally it wasn't there, but now we have that capability. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting. And I think, you know, one thing I've seen is that tech companies often rule the stage in terms of media often. And so, hey, here's a work from anywhere policy and and they can accomplish that with their business. But yeah. some businesses just by their nature can't, whether you, let's say you're in construction, you can't work remotely, you know, uh, or a, a lot of other industries that aren't necessarily under that same type of premise. Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, like, like many people, you know, I've, I've had an awful lot of communication with family members yeah. over Zoom and over video, video yep. conferencing. Um, and it's something that as a family, we'd never done before. Right. You know, we, we, I, I'm part of quite quite a big fat extended family. Yeah. We absolutely love getting together for social events, you know, weddings, part, anything, frankly, yeah. we'll, we'll get together. But those times in between, we would never have thought, why don't we hop on Zoom and all right. get together and have right. a conversation? We've done that virtually every week for 12 months now. Wow. We've seen more of each other in 12 months than we have in the last 12 years. Yeah. And I suppose what that flags up when you then translate that up into events and into the business world yeah is that if people have realized that they can really have meaningful engagement with the people who are close to them over yeah. stuff like this yeah why can't they do that for business you know, exactly why can't they do that for events exactly you know, and that's a great position that i think that we've been in is that because we've done that in our personal lives we've seen what this can then do potentially it unlocks that possibility for business absolutely yeah, yeah. um it's it's something that I've spoken about a lot on here yeah. and, and the adaptation towards those platforms. What was your own experiences of, of actually merging your own clients across to, to, to stuff like that? Was it a mixture of people being slow to adopt, being quick to adopt, taking some convincing others less so? What was the mixture like over there? Yeah. So, um, you know, we, when we saw some of the writing on the wall, we had one client uh, cancel really early. So probably like 
three weeks and, and, at, you know, kind of at the start of it, it was really day by day, hmm. um, the changing in the news and et cetera. Um, but they probably canceled three weeks before a lot of our other clients. And when that happened, we were kind of like, we said, oh, this could really have some domino effect on our industry. And if we were to take this really seriously, what are the decisions that we would make to, to prepare to continue to, to operate, you know, under that same mission, mm -hmm. you know, in a world where we couldn't get together. So we pivoted hard, started kind of parallel pathing, building a, a virtual event platform, which we've done and, and really scaling our capabilities. We had some people who had a lot of knowledge within the streaming space and virtual event space. And we had them cross-train a lot of our team members so that we grew our, our capabilities pretty rapidly. Um, but our clients, you know, they were, they were in this, you know, almost like a tailspin um, of navigating what to do. Do I cancel? Do I postpone? Do I convert to virtual? And, you know, I really consider that kind of the first wave of virtual events, which is more defined by kind of survival um, and, and really the conversation revolved around platforms. Um, and so the first ones that converted and wanted to keep their date, they were kind of early adopters and it was a scramble to figure out how to do this thing. Um, then we had some that had postponed or, or moved it. Um, and they did a little bit later on. They had a little bit of learnings going into that. And then, you know, we started to see somewhere, you know, Q3, Q4 of, uh, this prior year that the conversation really changed then from, you know, uh, the platform, you know, to just really, how do I produce a virtual event into some people have done it. They had some events under their belt and the conversation changed to how do I actually engage my attendees in virtual events? Because, you know, there's kind of this anonymous attendee that we get very little insight into their experience. We can see attendance or maybe page views, but how did they feel? there was less insight in that. And there was a lot of concern over making those more engaging because we attended some and we realized, Hey, I can, you know, I can tune out and I can check email, you know, distraction is a click away. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. It, it is only ever, uh, you know, an arm's length away. Absolutely. You know, yep. Complete distraction. Um, yep. One thing that I've just jotted down here is one word and the word is webinar. Hmm. The word webinar seems to have completely disappeared. Hmm. out of the event dictionary in the last 12 months you know yeah. what we knew as a webinar is now a virtual event exactly yeah yeah that's true and and or you know we talk tons about hybrid now and if you think about hybrid you know sports as an example and it's kind of becoming ubiquitous in a sense has been doing hybrid events for decades you know yeah. yeah and now you you know i i went to a nfl game a couple of years ago um and uh you go to like Dallas Cowboys Stadium and, and you you attend the event, but you're watching the Jumbotron the whole time. Well, because look at the, look at the Super Bowl, the Super yeah. Bowl is the ultimate hybrid event. Exactly. You know, yep. it, millions of dollars for 30 seconds of advertising space during the commercials. Yep. You know, entertainment there. It's being beamed into millions of homes globally whilst there are anything from, you know, 75 to 100,000 people there in the actual arena itself you know that to me when i think about it that's been the ultimate sort of hybrid benchmark for absolutely for years without even knowing it yeah and people still choose to attend that live though they could get a maybe arguably a better view if they were to be in their living room 
And so there's still, there's still something, there's still a magic, I think, to being with a, a group of people, you know, that I, I, I'm not sure we'll just have to see, you know, one of the questions I was even driving in today thinking about this is, you know, uh, it's the difference in uh, revolution and evolution. Mm-hmm. And if you think about, uh, th- there's a great book on, uh, it's, it's kind of academic and I'm like a closet academic, but it's by a guy named Thomas Kuhn. Uh, and th- the title is this, the structure of scientific revolutions. And, you know, he espouses that, um, that espouses, that's such a academic word. He, like he, he says, he says that, you know, uh, scientific revolutions don't necessarily happen in this kind of gradual uptick in change. They happen with a, a disruption. And then, um, you know, by the end it, it's, you can call it a revolution when you realize that by the end of this change, the way things operated before com- does not resemble the way they operated um, now. Yeah. So it, we've yeah. we've completely revolved, which is how you get revolution, right? Yeah. And then, in contrast, an evolution would be there's a change, but there's still a resemblance of an origin. In other words, it's not you know it's not completely different than before. And I think you know Thomas Kuhn talks about this period in between that in which people basically negotiate uh, people who, who are of like influencers in the space and, and leaders in it, they negotiate what this new normal looks like. And I think that our industry is in that period where we're trying to figure out, is this a revolution or an evolution? If it's an evolution, we can assume that we're still going to have massive in-person events and hybrid will be a, a component of that. There'll be this blurring of sorts, but it'll still resemble before. I think I think just to add to that that I think yeah. one of the confusing aspects when you look at the term evolution is that evolution is so clearly associated with happening over a prolonged period of, period time. of time. Yeah. You know, we look at the evolution of man, you know, etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Um what we've been forced to do is in a period of 12 months is adapt and change more in the last 12 months than we probably have done in the previous 10 years absolutely which is why it may be so difficult to distinguish and identify whether or not we've been part of a revolution or an evolution yeah i think we've probably been part of an evolution that's just taken place over a far shorter period of time than we would usually associate with that word yep yeah i think that that's that's um I, i tend to agree with that you know it was there was a catalyst that really rapidly changed things um but it, it may not result in a world that's absolutely different than the one prior, especially, you know, as we see, you know, I think we're moving into this, this, what I would call more of the third wave of virtual events, which mm-hmm. is, you know, the second wave was about engagement first about platform. Well, well, the third's going to be about, Hey, it's safe to gather, but, but do things look different? And if, and do we continue to have the virtual events at the same scale? You know, uh, basically what, what do virtual events look like when they're not necessarily the only way that we can meet? And there's a lot of conjecture about that, about what they'll be, how they'll work. But I, I, I don't necessarily think anyone has a crystal ball. No, I, I, absolutely right. And, um, 
in terms of what they'll look like and, and, and you know, how they'll manifest themselves, again, just on a personal level, I, I don't think we'll see much change to how we've got to the stage that we are now after 12 months of, of, of how the top end of virtual events are delivered. I think right. you right. can always refine them. You can always make them a little bit better, you know, from a production point of view, you can yep. make them slicker. But in yep. terms of the technology that we've got available to us at the moment, the top end of virtual events, I think broadly speaking, will stay the same. Yeah. What will change is is the end client's desire to either go back or stick with right. what they've got. And that will right. depend on their demographic, on their audience, where they're traveling from. A number of different factors where I already know of one major geographical academic conference that my brother um, participates in usually once every, it's biannually. Yep. Um, and they had to, it should have taken place in Japan. They did it all via Teams, I think. And they actually have de decided already, and this is sort of seven or eight months ago, that's it. Yep, we're, we're just sticking, going. We're sticking with this. Nobody's had yep. to fly. Nobody's had to book hotels. Nobody's had to take time out of their academic diary within their own universities yeah. to attend. You know, they can all go into their offices as normal, carry on with their work, and log in for a few hours every day. Um, yeah, and I think that's that's what we've really tipped on. Yes, finding the right solution for the right purpose. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and when we're talking with some of our clients, we're saying, "Listen, now's the time. We're we're in this window where you." you should really reconsider your event stack is how I refer to it. The, the, the various sizes of events that you have within kind of a calendar year um, and their purpose, their audience types, how they, they manifest the format, uh, et cetera. Because, you know, it, we're in a period of disruption. So there's, there's, a, there's kind of the capacity to ride the coattails of that and say, hey, we're really changing this event, our annual sales meeting, or we're changing our user conference, whatever it may be, you know, and now's the time where you, you get to do that. And there's new, there's new options because of this mm. digital capabilities. The platforms are getting much better. Yep. The, um, you know, functionality within them much better. And so I think really look at things from a fresh perspective, you know, maybe events as a mechanism for internal communication strategy, more didactic, me talking to masses, that may be done in more appropriately in a virtual event. And uh, because th there isn't necessarily high premium or need for engagement, but then maybe with in-person events, we find that they're less about this, you know, kind of delivery to the masses, less about a, a massive GS or a keynote speaker, um, and more about human connection, more about getting people together, forming relationships connecting the, the energy that comes with that and we'll see you know because i've wondered for years why we pay so much for keynotes uh to attend events or to show up things when i could go on youtube and listen to a keynote that they did last week or or go to ted and listen to them speak yeah yeah, yeah and yeah and as you said you know that that's the question if you and if you want to do that and if clicking on youtube is 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 what you would like to then go ahead and do it yeah um the people i guess the people who do that yeah. are the ones who are less likely to want to then turn to the guy or the girl sat next to them and say where do you work why are right. you here what yep. are you watching this why did you come to this particular seminar yep. why did you want to you know attend this particular keynote what are your interests what are your business activities etc yeah. that's why we go to these things like you absolutely said, the content itself can be accessed can't it it can yeah 
So I, I think we'll see attendees that go to an event in person watch the general session from their room rather than in a ballroom yeah. and attend the networking event, right? Because if things are hybrid and if there's not a huge difference in being in a ballroom or not, and and the experience for the, call them a, a remote attendee, but they could be in person, same as a virtual attendee that's in their you know, basement. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I think we'll see a blurring of a lot of those things. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they, it's always been, when we started to talk about hybrid events, you know, yeah. live streaming, yeah. um, it was always how do we take the live event and put it into a digital environment so people right. can access it. Right. And it's interesting now that nobody's really asking the question, how do we take this brilliant virtual event mm -hmm. and put it into a live scenario? Right. And, that you know, those sort of questions, you know, why not throw that in there? Yeah. You know, we've always, always looked at it going in the opposite direction of amplifying yep. and extending the live event. Well, yeah. How do we amplify and extend the online event? You know, TV have been doing that. Movies have been doing that for years. Yeah, right. You know, movies, the Harry Potter movies, huge movies. So what did they do? They built Harry Potter World at the right. studios in North London. Experience it. So you, you can now go and experience it. Look yeah. at what Disney have been doing. You watch the movie, you go to Disney World, you can experience it. Yep. You know, We've now got virtual events that I think could then go in the opposite direction and say, right, how do we amplify now into some sort of live experience for those who want it? Right. Uh, I think I think there's um, there's lots of opportunities there. Um, yeah. To do it. How's your diary shaping up for the rest of of this year with the with live stuff now starting to come back? And in the UK, as I'm sure you're aware, we now have what the government are calling their roadmap out of lockdown, where yeah, we have these key targets that we're hoping to hit in the next three months whereby if all goes well at the end of june we are out of any restrictions fully open yeah probably 40 million people vaccinated yep. um, and able to run events how is it looking over in the states at the moment and what sort of challenges are you facing yeah so we have we have a, an event next month that's an in-person event up in uh the mountains of of colorado and uh, aspen and um and so that is you know lots of emphasis on safety. We're, you know, pushing standards, all of that stuff. Um, beyond that, a lot of our clients are, 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 we're seeing a, a massive demand in October. And so, um, and October end booking into next year. In fact, many of our clients are challenged with space for next year yeah. because what's happened is a lot of hotels have said, Hey, you can take your contract and propel it into next year or, or the year prior. And yeah. so a lot of, a lot of companies have kind of these latent contracts that they're waiting to book space with. And now the, the crunch is happening in 2022, which I think is a good thing. And, and so, um, you know, we're, that's really where we're seeing some of the bookings come in. Um, we've got about, I think a quarter of the adult population vaccinated in the U S and, uh, are starting to get our stuff together as it relates to that, kind of moving more quickly and becoming more accessible for uh, those who want it. And so um, I think that we'll need to be in a space where for, for corporations and um, large event holders, I think we're going to need to get into a space in which, um, and I think this may be different for private companies and smaller events, but for bigger events to, to where there's not the potential PR nightmare if i'm 
responsible for gathering a number of people because any corporation that would choose to do that right now could be subject to a total backlash from um, potentially getting picked up, you know, X company or entity holds event and becomes a superseder or, you know, and and so I I think corporations are, you know, until, until that dies down to where, you know, there's not this crucifixion that happens if you were to, you know, kind of move into a space of, of, presenting some risk with gathering large people. I think until that d- dies down, there's, it's going to be hard to be w- wanting to do something like that. Is, is there a sense of in, in the industry over, over in the States of people looking around and thinking who's, who's going to be brave enough to leap in the to, deep end first? Yeah, there is that. And the States, the States are starting the conversation there. Texas just went with a no mask. Uh, they yes, kind of pulled right, yeah. the no mask thing and, and, you know, we had some clients get on the phone that day with us and say, hey, we're holding an event in Texas. And then we saw other places that that really ridiculed the state saying, how could you even imagine doing this, putting millions of lives at risk? And so that's still happening, you know, where there's these these big differences in, in how people should comport themselves given um, the world today. And so... Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. And, you know, it, what's happening in Florida right now is uh, spring break is hitting and there's saw, millions yeah. of people gathering and they're trying to dissipate that. So we're still in this window where it's like people are, I believe people are really ready to get out there. Uh, I talked with a, a, not a competitor, kind of a, a, another events production company in a different industry that does a lot of EDM festivals as an right. example. Yeah. And he said that they, they normally book out, they, they completely sell out the events in two hours. Um, and they've had to postpone them three times because of the states and regulation. So it's what it shows me is that there's there's literally a, a, a high percentage of the population, vast majority potentially, that's ready to get together, especially young people. What we're seeing, of course, of course. and uh, and it's just not time yet. No, I mean there's a and for us, I mean it's really important to to sort of stress the scale whenever i talk to our friends over in the usa on the podcast you know in terms of geographical scale we must always remember you know we're based in the uk we have people who listen in europe and 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 in southeast asia and and over in the states and we must always highlight the fact that we're dealing with a country that's the same size as florida as a state right yep do you know what i mean so you know you can't always draw comparisons and parallels because ultimately as an industry if you're working across state, you're effectively, it's the same as us going to work in France or Germany. It is. Or Spain. Absolutely. You know, there will be different state regulations. There will be yep. different methodology that you've got to, you know, work within. You will have different restrictions, different unions, different people to deal with. And yep. um, that to me for the events industry certainly is from looking from afar is something that is a challenge that I, I, we don't have here yeah. and, and, and puts you in a totally different position to us over here. Yep. Um, how, how is there, is there, is there some sort of cross state thinking going on? Are you able to talk to other companies or within the industry to find out how it is differing, you know, coast to coast? Uh, some, um, you know, I think that events are subject to the local state, you know, regional, um, even, uh, county mm. guidelines here and so it it certainly affects our sourcing for instance we are going to film uh the uh content components of a, a really big virtual event that we do that's the summer the middle of the summer we're going to film that in the weeks to come 
um, and we're going to uh, uh, North Carolina because the company has a large basis in California, but the restrictions in California really prohibit the use of venues mm-hmm. and and some of our ability. Now we're not we're not gathering a lot of people, but you know, in in the state of un, in the in kind of the reality of uncertainty, we feel like we have a, a better um, environment to ensure that we can deliver the content that they want, the experience, the filming that they want to really pull this together in a state with uh, a little bit less restriction there. And of course, that's not to say, and we must stress, it's not to say that no doubt that the, the appropriate safety measures and all the Absolutely. risk assessments are put in place. It's just about finding that location that fits what you're seeking to achieve. And that's no different to sourcing the right venue for your event. Um, Absolutely. Yep. Um, if um, if people want to find out what you guys are up to, Tim, um, I, I know that you're quite, well, for, for, from what I've been told, quite um, uh, active in normal times on the uh, circuit of, of being a keynote speaker yourself. Right. Um, have you been able to participate in the other side of things and maintain, you know, any involvement as a keynote speaker with any virtual events that are organized by other people? And um, what's your experience been like on the other side of the fence, if you will? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. I, I have spoken at a number of events, um, mostly corporate events, and I speak on topics of the future of learning, the future of connection, um, and uh, in, envisioning the future of events as well. And so um, it's it's been interesting, you know, to to not necessarily be uh, in front of a crowd of people. And I think that adapting some of my content to be a lot more quick hitting with yeah. visuals and constantly pull people back into the content. Um, and so, you know, moving more quickly, more bite-sized type uh, components um, and shorter durations. So moving something that was 45 minutes in person to 20 to 25 with Q and A uh, throughout. And so you kind of, you know, you almost keep the attendee in the flow a lot more often, more interaction as a, as a part of that. And so uh, I think that that has been really interesting. It's been fun. I've spoken for MPI. I spoke for an event for Visible, um, which is a large telecoms company. And, uh, but it, it's been fun too. I think a part of, part of my experience as a speaker is just sitting there wondering, like, is anyone listening? I don't know. <laughs> I hope so. But you could feel that in, when you're in person and you can't necessarily feel that. It's, it's tough, isn't it? I mm-hmm. think when somebody writes the history of the events industry in years to come, right. the last 12 months, the chapter should be entitled Death of the Mundane PowerPoint. Yes. Um, because that's the other thing that's, you know, people's attention spans are short nowadays. You know, right. when, we've, when we've all moved over to virtual events, the sessions are shorter. Yeah. You have to hit your content hard because if you don't, somebody will just turn their camera off, mute their microphone and just turn to their emails. Absolutely. They, they will literally just switch off because they're not under that sort of peer pressure, uh, you know, as you are in an audience where yeah. you are almost conditioned to keep your eyes focused on that mundane PowerPoint that's being delivered towards you. Yep, absolutely. Um, well, even in a ballroom, we see it with phones, you know, where people are in there, but not really there. Yeah. 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 I remember emceeing an event once and I had to tell people, look, do you realize that when you go on your phones that the screen lights up your face face, in a dark theater? Yes, totally. So we can actually see that you're all on your phones and not paying attention. Do do us the courtesy of of putting the phones away for a bit. Yeah. it's it's crazy. Can I can I ask one question before we sure. finish today, Tim, about um, shaping the future of learning? Um, 
I've got two teenage sons, um, yep. and like most parents, not just in the UK but around the world, homeschooling has has, has happened over the last twelve months in a manner yeah. that we didn't expect it to. Yeah, we've all again had to adapt to. Um, right. And one thing I've realised is that, you know, depending on the learner, depending on the nature of what they are learning, right, um, that online content can be valuable. You know, yeah. In other aspects, it's completely redundant. You know, if you're yeah. doing something very hands-on, but particularly when it comes to university education much is made in the uk of the cost of university education absolutely same and how it can be prohibitive to um to people who, if they're from a certain background where they're just not from a culture that promotes college or university education sure. and they don't have the finances to do that Thirty thousand euro a year yeah and i just wonder whether or not our ability to shift to delivering virtual events in the last year means that really there should be a meaningful conversation had about how we deliver a university level education in future yeah. and, and maybe how we could offer a hybrid solution to allow people with the funds to have the full experience of the live right but for the people who may not want that or can't afford it to also have access to it but via a virtual platform yeah i I'm really curious in what happens with this james i think it's going to be very interesting to see how learning plays out i think that the the university and i i am an academic academic i have two bachelors and masters in fine art and design thinking and i'm in my last year of coursework for a phd so i'm a believer in the university system mm -hmm. and higher education um, but i do think that it is cost prohibitive and i think it's gotten out of hand for um, a large subset of the population not only that take the cost but i think that part of the challenge is is proving value and, um, you know, now you can go on to sailor.org today and take free classes, college level classes taught by college professors um, in any level and get a certificate for that. That would essentially be the same education that you would get from a university for free. Yeah. And we're seeing the rise in certifications. We're seeing the rise in rapid development programs, especially as it relates to coding. And, you know, what um, the World Economic Forum has, has said is that, you know, employees in today's organizations will need a hundred plus days of learning um, going forward because they're the amount of rel the, the duration of relevancy from something that you've learned has reduced to being less than two years. So if you take a four year education and realize that by the end of that, that what you've learned is largely irrelevant, then I think what we're going to have to see is that universities become a little bit more of people development centers developing things like critical thinking, developing things like social skills mm -hmm. and things of that nature, more of a liberal arts philosophy, some of the, the, you know, more humanistic sciences rather than necessarily being a technical educator uh, center. And if, if they can prove that, then I think that there's still value in, in some of those things. Um, but if not, then I think there's, there's a lot of really great alternatives and, and there's going to, that's going to create some pressure on the way things have been for a long time. Absolutely. Um, Tim Woodring is the Chief Solutions Officer for Unbridled and has joined us today from Unbridled's base in Denver, Colorado. Tim, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. It's so um, fun. I haven't, I dared uh, not ask the question about what time you had to get up in order to join us. Oh, it wasn't given, bad. Given the time difference, but hopefully it's not been uh, too crazy a start to your day joining us on the podcast. No, nope. dropped my kids off and then popped into uh, this room to chat with you.
Fantastic. It's, it's yep. been great talking to you. And as I said, it's always a pleasure to um, to talk to somebody from our friends over in the States to find out what's happening over there. There are so many parallels and so many things that we share in common, but it's always good to find out as well what specific challenges you guys are facing over there that are different to us and to get that little bit of insight. So it's been a pleasure. If anybody Likewise. wants to find out a bit more about Unbridled or your own activities, Tim, tell us how they would get in touch with you. Yeah, just go to unbridled.com. You can learn a lot more about us there. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me. You can just Google timwoodring.com. Uh, find me on LinkedIn. Reach out. I'd love to connect with you on whatever it is, uh, even if it's just uh, you know a conversation about mutual interests. And so uh, thanks so much for the time, James, and uh, really pleasure to talk with you today. And uh, it's fun to hear what's going on, on your side as well across the pond. Fantastic. Look forward to welcome you on the podcast again in the future, Tim. If you are watching today's podcast on the eventindustrynews.com website, don't forget to head over to your favorite podcast platform on your mobile device and you can access audio versions of all of the previous episodes of the Event Industry News podcast. Of course, you can always go in the other direction if you are listening to us today. Head over to eventindustrynews.com. You can check out the latest features, supplements and news that's happening, not just in the events industry in the UK where we're based, but right across Europe and uh, the rest of the world indeed and our friends as I've said over in the USA Tim great to see you today thanks very much to all of our podcast followers for joining the podcast today my name is James Dixon and we'll see you on the next edition goodbye